0: This is the Run Pod Option. I'm Marty. And I'm Jeff. Follow us on Twitter at RunPodOption or email us runpodoption at gmail.com. If you're listening and enjoy the show, take a second to subscribe. Uh, leave a review if you'd like. Just tell your friends. Uh, we kind of want to grow this community. We really appreciate you guys for listening. Jeffrey, we had... Do you prefer the Red River Shootout or the Red River whatever they're calling it now?
1: I always knew it was the Red River Rivalry. Was that not what it was before?
0: Growing up in Texas, always the Red River Shootout. And <laughs> I think uh, with the um, the gun situation, they actively changed it. Because <laughs> it is still the Red River rivalry. But, yeah, Shootout was what I always heard it called. And now they're, I think it's going Showdown. Red River Showdown. Uh, yeah. Which is less dramatic. And, honestly, it's probably more apt because it wasn't the shootout we expected it to be, I don't think. No. Jalen Hurts looked mortal. That was kind of nice to see. Just a little bit of variety with the Oklahoma game. What were your takeaways, Jeff?
1: So, and I think you'll probably touch on this, I have not watched an Oklahoma game yet this year. Uh, Seeing CeeDee Lamb on the screen for the first time was really exciting. Just a super explosive playmaker and slippery. Um, The other thing, I, I was really not impressed with Texas. I felt like... They just didn't look ready, if I want to say. you know, Every time I would, I would watch, they'd you know, make a lot of mental mistakes, penalties. Um, their offensive line, to me, hasn't really grown a ton in the last couple of years. So, um, I know the score was closer than it you know sounds, but I wasn't overly impressed with them.
0: So I've seen more Oklahoma and Texas this year than you have. That's almost for sure. Mm-hmm. It's definitely the worst game I've seen for Texas. But I think it's because of kind of what you alluded to, that offensive line just got its lunch eaten up, and Oklahoma was pressing. And really, the kind of disappointing thing was that Texas only gave the ball to Rashawn Johnson eight times, because he was electric. Yeah. And he's he's that quarterback turned running back because of all the injuries. Yeah. But it felt like Ellinger, if he wasn't scrambling to try to make a play, then he was just running the ball and getting hit hard and often. And he'd make some chunk yards, you know. But it, I think my biggest takeaway, player wise, CD Lamb is Alabama's got a cheat code wide receiver group. CD mm-hmm. Lamb is insane. The amount of times that Texas had three or four guys running to tackle him and he just either wouldn't get touched or just work his way through it and keep running was insane. Yeah, and that's the thing is
1: I know he's a super exciting player, at dynamic. I just felt like Texas was really sloppy. Like that one play that, you know, was all over ESPN and everything was just bad. Like how many guys were there? Did he slip through on that one long? There was, touch there was five. five. The one guys. the flea
0: flicker, yeah, it was yeah. It, and it might have been honestly it might have been six because the first guy <laughs> that was covering him and he wasn't he was wide open. Yeah. I don't know how Texas I mean, it really, the biggest difference in the game because Ellinger did his best. The play calling, you can take it or leave it. But I think that when you have Ellinger drop back 37 times and then there's another 10 designed rushes and then there's a whole bevy of sacks too, mm. I, I think it, it shows the difference in defenses. And the, the low note is Texas is on pace to have like one of their worst defenses in decades. But more importantly, I think, for the national title scene, Oklahoma has one of the most aggressive and physical defenses I've seen that isn't in the Big Ten or the SEC this year. They're really impressive.
1: Yeah, and that's, I mean, everyone was wondering what Alex Grinch was going to do. I looked up um, their S&P defensive rating from last year. They were 84th. They're all the way up to 31st this year. And I think we talked about it in one of the earlier podcasts. Didn't we have like an over-under where they would finish?
0: In fact, we did. And we we were talking. (laughs) I was thinking about that too. So we did a, let me look real quick on my notes here. So we had a preseason over-under. For Oklahoma, uh, they finished 84th last year. And the over-under was whether they would improve their final ranking by 34 points. Meaning would they have a top 50 defense?
1: And here they are. They've improved over 50. Yeah, they're so I think, far.
0: I think even with the rest of the Big Twelve, and there's going to be some yards they'll put up in there. Mm-hmm. They still got to play Brock Purdy. They still got to play a hot and cold Baylor offense. I think top 50 is almost a certainty at this point.
1: Yeah, and that's I mean, you know, they have some really good talent, and they've recruited pretty well, and it's just, you know, I don't know. It begs the question: Why did Ohio State let go of Alex Grinch? Because he was an assistant. He wasn't even the defensive coordinator there, but he was there for a year. And they swapped out, you know, Shiano. But, it was, yeah, it's been a really good big pickup for Oklahoma. I
0: think at the time you probably could have sold Shiano to a recruit as a name. <laughs> you know, as a yeah. known name. And, and maybe the NFL, a little bit of NFL experience he's had too. Yeah. I mean, if people want to make fun of McVay and rubbing up against him to get a coaching job. But Belichick's been doing that for years. Mm-hmm. I saw an interesting stat OU's turned the ball over eight times this year On offense, and they've never given up A TD on the following possession
1: Yeah, their defense I've never looked at this stat before, but They're the seventh best team in the country In points allowed in the first quarter And then they slowly get worse So in the second, I think they were like 28th In the third, they dropped down to 70th And then the fourth, they're 90th So it's really interesting how they've been constructed And how I guess they can they can still hold up early Which allows them to build a lead And then I would be curious kind of what,
0: what their offense is in scoring, you know, in those <laughs> same quarters because yeah. this was their lowest offensive output at 34, and mm-hmm. really, if it wasn't for the couple of Hertz mistakes, it's probably 45, 48, maybe even 50.
1: I did want to ask you one question too. So, Todd Orlando is was one time considered to be like one of the hot shot defensive coordinators. Do you think he's his star has faded for texas or is it just you know they have a lot of injuries and they're kind of doing what they can
0: you know what i'm just gonna say i don't know i i, I without even getting too far into it i think orlando's still got a place i mean if you're will muschamps out there and we'll talk about him later today, <laughs> but like muschamps never had like a top 35 defense no I think Todd Orlando just has to be good enough. It's really going to depend what it looks like next year when you... I don't think Ellinger's back, right? Is he a senior?
1: No, I think he's a junior.
0: Oh, that's that's disgusting. If we have another year of Ellinger. Yep. Uh, he is a junior. Son
1: of a gun. But it depends. I mean, he's having a good year, so I wouldn't be
0: surprised if
1: you know they cap out at 10 wins again. Is there really much you know, to come back to, I don't to be interesting. Yeah.
0: What else is there for him to prove? I would, I would argue the fact that that quarterback class looks to be kind of stacked anyways. I mm-hmm. don't think Ellinger's a top eight quarterback coming out. No, I think he could be a top five tight end. <laughs> go the Tebow route. Yeah, exactly. I mean, except actually do it instead of put him <laughs> in <Denver and> turn <laughs> to
1: go into baseball.
0: Yep. Yeah. Uh, one of the, uh, low key matchups this week Shifting to Temple and Memphis, I actually watched a pretty good amount of this game. And I think the biggest story coming out of it was the fourth down pass. Memphis needed a first down. They were down by, I believe it was two or three. What did they end up losing by? I think it was two points. Mm -hmm. And fourth down, uh, quarterback chucks it up and the tight end Magnifico, which is a great Great last uh, time, Dave. <laughs> yep, it really is. And he honestly made a Magnifico catch, and they ended up overturning it and saying it wasn't a catch. And I'll bet my house that's a catch. It didn't. It, it, it was really impressive. I think the bigger story is Temple looked really good most of the game, but Memphis didn't give up. Mm-hmm. And I think it kind of speaks to the American, as strong as they are, And also to just Rod Carey in his first year at Temple. He's had more offense with Temple than he had at Northern Illinois. And I think your recruits are better. I think he's got a better team than he's probably ever had at Northern Illinois from a talent perspective. It almost is upsetting though, because like most conferences so far, they're going to kind of eat themselves alive. Mm -hmm. And it's going to eat itself more whether Temple beats another ranked team, if Temple wins against SMU next week. That's their third-ranked win because they'll have SMU, Memphis, and then...
1: They have the second-most-ranked wins, yeah, over ranked teams at this point, which is pretty awesome.
0: And they were receiving votes in the AP, but I think Mm -hmm. early first-year coach of the year candidate, if Temple ends up with 10 wins, which they're on pace for, I think Rod Carey needs to be mentioned.
1: Especially after, I mean, he wasn't even their initial hire, because remember, they hired Manny Diaz for less than 24 hours, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah. Manny Diaz was undefeated, and then mm-hmm. <laughs> and they brought in Rod yeah. Carey. Yeah, he's done a really good job. I, I agree, and I think that it fits perfectly with program building, because that's all that Temple's been able to do. Uh, mm-hmm. Temple's just producing... Where Louisiana Tech used to be like the offensive coach stopgap between another job, Temple feels like that same for like a program builder slash defensive heavy coach. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, I got no no beef with the Owls. I'm I'm happy for Temple.
1: Yeah, and let's just talk about. I think you know I speak for a lot of people who are obviously we know why game day is going to Penn State because it's Michigan and Penn State under the lights. But I think a lot of people were secretly hoping for Temple and SMU next week. I think that would have been really fun.
0: I think if kind, of, Penn State, kind of an
1: interesting spin on it.
0: I think if Penn State hadn't announced that they were going to do a wide out last week mm-hmm. for that game, SMU might have a chance there. Yeah. And I think Temple also, if they had blown the doors off Memphis, there would have, would have been a bigger chance. But really, the biggest deal... Didn't even seem like people were upset because SMU necessarily deserved it. Although, hey, it's really cool to focus on on something other than a Power Five mm-hmm. for for game day. But the last time they've been to SMU, if I don't think they've ever been to SMU, frankly, I can't. I can't imagine just the timeline of SMU football and when <laughs> game day started. When they would ever have been in, they've been no. in Dallas for. You know, probably one of those neutral site games, but that's really Arlington and it's not indicative of the, of the city as a whole. I think it would have been pretty cool for Dallas. Low key, kind of glad they didn't just because the last time SMU got in the national spotlight, which was literally last week, was they almost shit the bet against Tulsa. So, <laughs> so I think, I think yeah. the fact that Sunny Dykes can maybe say, you know what? The national media doesn't even care. If they're not going to send us a game day. Uh, and try to turn it into some kind of underdog bit. I'm here for it as long as as long as they're focused against Temple, which they've now had a week to prepare. Mm-hmm. And I will say, it's I forget how it's easy to forget in one season because the best part about being an SMU fan is that they've always been pretty pretty average, and there was maybe flashes here and there, but it was great because you really didn't have to focus. Like I could keep SMU on my third screen. The problem now is that they're, they're having this promising year is I've got to put them on my main screen. And it hasn't hurt me yet because some of these weeks have been pretty average. But this week, the really the best week I think so far of the season in terms of upsets and results and matchups, it was nice to have SMU have a bye. And next week, I don't even know what I'm going to do because there's a lot of big games. Speaking of game day, LSU, Death Valley, take down Kyle Trask and the Florida Gators... and I think it really comes down to two things for me. Trask was the reason that they were in that game. Florida, for some reason, did not just run the wheels off of Pirine, which I think would have also kept them in that game. And LSU's offense is my favorite offense to watch this year with a bullet.
1: I was able to watch most of this game. This is the first time I've really watched... LSU in any serious fashion and it's first of all the transformation Joe Burrow has undergone awesome
0: I saw someone pose a question for at what quarterback has ever done this from their junior to their senior year and changed their NFL draft stock so greatly over the course of one season and I couldn't even think of anybody the thing that came closest for me was the opposite And it was sophomore Jake Browning, and then the rest of his career because after sophomore (laughs) downward
1: trajectory, yeah, yeah, and
0: yeah, and just consistently getting worse and worse. But I think for a two year starter, I can't think of anybody that's, you know what, honestly, and it's not back to back years, but Jalen Hurts could maybe have that argument made. But Joe Burrow is special, man. I don't know if you've gotten to
1: watch Urban Meyer on Fox at all. And while he's still a colossal douche, he he offers some really good insight. And he said at one point that he told Burrow that his arm was too weak to play Division One. And so Burrow took that and worked on his arm strength. And now, I mean, he doesn't have a cannon, but he, he throws a really nice ball. So, I mean, just that dedication that he's shown.
0: We know Tua can throw it, and I think the offense doesn't allow him to necessarily show that off a whole bunch because they do have the cheat code of wide receiver groups. So he he only needs to throw it five to ten yards down the field, and they can do the rest for most of it. It's amazing watching the LSU game just how many passes Burrow not only just nailed the pass downfield, but hitting his receivers in stride or making a tough throw. Mm-hmm. And it never feeling forced, really. I don't think he had what felt like a forced throw that entire game.
1: No, and you, I mean, it's, it's interesting because LSU has had super talented receivers. I mean, you, you know, everyone talks about Odell and Jarvis Landry. They've had a ton of really talented guys, but now it's finally like putting the five-star talent together with a great quarterback, and it's just its awesome. Like, they have Jefferson, and I think Chase is the other guy,
0: yeah, Both Jamar Chase.
1: over a hundred yards a game this year. They got a great running back, good tight end. Like it's just it's cool to see it all together. And then the other thing that is fun is they talk a ton of trash. Like I've never seen players talk so much shit after a play, <laughs> and it's every play, offense or defense. So they're kind of turning back into like that villain, which is also fun because that's when LSU was at their best is when they kind of were, you know, the bad guy in the West.
0: Yeah, it's it was unless Miles was like the evil the evil genius who evil grass ate grass. Figures. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think and, LS, and LSU is what I think a lot of people envisioned what it would be like the day that Cliff Kingsbury was announced at USC because that's the first thing I thought was mm-hmm. okay. So you're gonna have you're gonna have five star receivers and a and, and a five star quarterback running a spread with tempo. Uh, heavy passing attack, like I'm here for it, and and LSU doing it is is honestly it's 15 years in the making of watching mediocre offenses basically. I'm extremely happy for LSU, and I'm happy for Coach O who's doing a great job. And Joe Brady is gonna be uh, a very rich man at the end of the year if LSU can't manage to keep him.
1: I'm glad you brought that up because I don't think people give given Coach O enough credit. I mean. He basically redefined what his strategy was and said, Hey, you know, what I'm, what I'm doing is not good enough. I mean, you, you look at so many other coaches, like, I mean, Harbaugh, he's finally doing it, but coaches tend to be so, you know, dialed into what they've always done. So, Petrino. Yeah, Petrino. Maybe Holderson Sabin word for a is... while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Holderson.
0: Yeah, Sabin was until Kiffin, really, right? Yeah. Like, they, their offense looked like what George's looks like now. Yep, And and in fact, I'm going to just jump straight to that. Georgia, if you didn't know that Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart went to school together and played together, it was evident that they both learned how to manage a game at the end together as well. And I don't know how much of the game you ended up catching, because honestly, I, I didn't intend on watching the game at all. I figured it would be a blowout. And I ended up catching about the time that Helensky got injured. And I, And I want to talk about that first. Will Muschamp kept Helensky in the game after he was obviously hurt, and he got lucky that it didn't cost him the game, but I don't know what if there's any news on his injury, but he got hit again low and got pulled out of the game, and the entire rest of the game, the camera was focused on Helensky. Which, good on the TV stations, I guess, because honestly, he was a blast to watch his reactions when they, when they missed the field goal or anything else. I think it's pretty messed up, and I think it was downright negligent of must Champ to leave him in to get hurt like that.
1: Yeah, and reading on it a little today, it sounds like he has a sprain, so they are expecting him to be back uh, for Florida this weekend, but yeah, it's not great.
0: Yeah, it was it was interesting to see, and I can't remember the kid's name that came in for backup, but he struggled too. And I think mm-hmm. that might go to Georgia's defense. Did everything they could. I kind of want to shift to the offense for the Bulldogs because this was Fromm's first interception slash interceptions. He threw three of them. Uh, one was his fault. One bounced off a of receiver's hands, and one was just about one of the worst attempts to throw the ball out of bounds (laughs) that I've ever seen. And that was the one that was a pick six. I don't know if Kirby is just old school, but that's another school that could afford to have maybe any kind of innovation on offense because they're they're rather boring and not in a pro style way, but in everything they're doing is predictable kind of way.
1: Don't know if it's you know, him subscribing to the old Saban school of like tough defense and kind of just get what you need on offense. But just they got rid of um, Jim Chaney. He went back to Tennessee and they promoted James Coley, the receivers coach. And it's just kind of status quo. So I think it is, I do think Kirby has a big influence on the offense and I think he needs to be like his mentor and, kind of take the reins off of it because everything you said is exactly right just no innovation though no, they have a ton of great players like they need to be scoring and doing more than they did
0: and their offensive line felt like it was getting the they were getting blown off the ball almost every single play mm-hmm. and, and the running game which God knows Kirby loves his running game couldn't do anything to bail out from and then when your only designed passes are for him to hit the outside, and he's under pressure. I, I just don't know. I, it'll be interesting to see if what South Carolina did was just just make the blueprint for the rest of their SEC schedule. Because Georgia escapes, I think, LSU and Alabama in the regular season. But Florida can take advantage of that. Honestly, I, I'm, I'm glad. I'm happy for South Carolina in general. I'm happier that we probably can take Georgia as a playoff contender to bed.
1: I mean, there's always a chance if they win out, they're probably going to be under consideration. But probably figured out against Kentucky this week. Um, but then they go play Florida. They play Missouri, who is actually kind of on the up and up. And then they have a game at Auburn. So,
0: and that's a Missouri team that Missouri, I think, has the first or second best pass defense in the uh, in the SEC. And they've got an electric offense too. So that's gonna be really interesting. And it's home against Missouri, so that probably helps you. They still got Auburn. But they still got AM, who's something. You know, I, I could see <laughs> yeah. I could I could see them lose two more games. I could also see them win out. I, I don't know that bye week before Florida, they better have their self sorted because I think Florida is, again, a trask interception from really being in that game. <laughs> and as Texas has kind of shown because they, they kept OU. Well, I wouldn't say that. You know what? I think that LSU torches any any defense. And 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 Burrow was the first quarterback that Florida had played. I think they probably have a pretty high chance of beating Georgia in that cocktail party. Isn't that what they call mm-hmm. that This. Yep. Let's move to the Big Ten.
1: So the marquee game for the Big Ten was Penn State traveling to Kinnick at night to play iowa it's always been a good game between both of them um it really wasn't a good game it's it was another if you watched the michigan iowa game it was very similar it was a slugfest uh iowa finally broke their touchdownless streak i think they got up to i don't know they were nine quarters or something 12 quarters it's since um,
0: uh, It was since the end of the Iowa... I think the last quarter of the Iowa State game was the last yep. time they scored a touchdown against a P5 opponent. Yep. So, Nate Stanley for Iowa
1: still... I mean, they basically have gone against the script. I think he threw it 50 times again. Again. Uh, they have no running game. They really don't... They have a couple... They have one good receiver, but really not a lot of great ones. Um, and Penn State just teed off on Stanley a lot. Penn State... Uh, to me is getting a lot of credit. I don't know how good they are. Their defense is really stout up front. They're really athletic in the back end. Um, but on offense, they're just they were opportunistic. Sean Clifford was not good throwing the ball, but was really clutch kind of running, and then Noah Kane came, came on and really finished strong at running back. But I I wasn't impressed with Iowa watching them last week. I wasn't super impressed with Penn State, but they're sitting near the top 10, I think in the top seven, even for some rankings. So
0: we'll yeah, see. They're, they're seventh currently in the AP. And I think that this is the first real game that I've seen Penn State play all year. And that's just a matter of schedule and, and picking and choosing who I'm going to be able to watch. But they weren't ever high on my list. And I didn't really have a choice this time. And it's unfortunate because, like you said, the game was was kind of a rough watch. I'd never seen Noah Kane, I'd never seen K.J. Hamler, and I came away with both of them being really impressed. That Hamler touchdown where he he pogo-sticked over the top of the Iowa defense was absolutely insane.
1: Yeah, Hamler is uh, an outstanding player. Kind of reminds me of, I don't know, I feel like he would fit in really well with a Big 12 team. He'd probably put up like 1,500 yards, but he's uh, – good he's an electric you know returner and a good slot guy um Kane is interesting because Penn State has basically had a running back by committee approach the whole year and this week Kane took the reins
0: he's a true freshman yeah I think
1: he's a five star from Virginia so
0: Franklin is recruited really well
1: I still don't know how good they are like I said they're gonna play Michigan this week and probably obliterate them but I still think it's it's Ohio State by far and then Wisconsin too so
0: yeah I think Penn State is still not an elite team as Franklin would say they're home against Michigan next week like you mentioned they have at Michigan State it's probably the same exact game they just played against Iowa Mm -hmm. then they play at Minnesota which is actually really interesting home against Indiana at Ohio State and then Rutgers so (laughs) they'll have a test in Michigan and depending on how they'll pass that test, if they smoke Michigan, I think they're undefeated until Ohio State. If they barely edge out Michigan, then I think Minnesota might have a chance.
1: Minnesota is really interesting. I like said, Michigan is going to be, I mean, it depends what Michigan team shows up. Obviously, Harbaugh is dreadful on the road, especially against ranked opponents, so it's probably not going to go well. but. And then Michigan State, you have them. It seems like they're probably close to being in free fall based on some comments and how they played this week. So, but you never know. They could they could turn it around at home and you know gut out a close victory. So yeah, it'll be it'll be really really interesting for Penn State.
0: It was it wasn't by design, but it is interesting when you you go from Iowa to Georgia to Michigan State and all three of those teams. I don't think anybody doubts the defense's ability. Whether they're great or good, you know that they're at least good, right? Or they're well-coached. Or even if they're maybe young players or they're having to make adjustments because of injuries, they're going to be a well-put-together defense, generally. The offenses, it feels like in, in... I don't even know if it's good for the damn sport, but what used to be great about college football was 10 years ago... Any team that was really, really great had a chance to be upset by a weird team, by a Texas Tech, or by a weird spread option, or by Rich Rodriguez at West Virginia. There was a lot of variety in the ways you can get beat by different teams because largely offenses hadn't or weren't willing to uh, evolve with the sport. And now... We've come full circle, and it's more of out of 130 teams, a hundred of them are running the same offense, roughly. <laughs> right the the key the key phrase is tempo. Uh, hell, we named our damn show after it, the RPO. Yep. It's the same stuff across everything, and if Georgia, with the talent they're capable of pulling, has an Alabama-style offense, I don't think they definitely don't lose to South Carolina. Right, I think they cruise, and in the same in the same ask, Iowa for all the two and three stars that they're they're <laughs> lauded for being able to recruit, there's no doubt that they'd be better in conference if they ran a different system. Look no further than Purdue, who's had the injuries just just decimate them, but they're still capable of putting up forty points, albeit against a bad team, but a conference team nonetheless. Yeah, and even. Even beyond just
1: the scheme, I mean, Kirk Francis, he has made a living playing close games. I, I can't remember the exact stat, but it was just it was crazy his record in close games, and that's that's what he's built his program on is, you know, play good defense, play smart on offense, and win a close game in the you know in the fourth quarter. And I think Smart tries to do the same thing, and it's you know it's great when it works, but then when you don't when you don't have the playmakers or you know the line you know you have nothing to fall back on it's just you have a great defense with a putrid offense or you know no innovation so i get it but
0: we see that all the time with those type of teams though they always inevitably when you're a one-dimensional offense you get caught at some Mm -hmm. point you just will alabama got caught years ago they're still capable of being caught if if you shut down Tua right now, I think too, because the running game's not what it used to be. It's, it's interesting. I hope for, and I have no, no dog in the fight, so to speak, but the same way that for the second time tonight, I'll mention them the way I was excited to see USC look different for the first time in a long time. I think that it would be really exciting to see a, a high flying or fast paced Iowa just how weird it would be, if nothing else. But I think it could benefit him. And I think Purdue, I think we all believe Purdue at some point is going to catch. I mean, that's how Purdue stayed relevant with. Tiller. Tiller, thank you. Grass. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, he's proven that. And I think the difference now is you have someone like Brom who can actually recruit. So it'll be interesting to kind of see where that goes. Jeff, we're going to play a game. And then we're going to get a couple of notes for the rest of the week and we'll get out of here, okay? Sounds good. All right, I got this. I stole this game from uh, a Twitter user, at CFB Unleashed. Um, I suppose that it was on the chain at some point and they've since unleashed it. Uh, good for college <laughs> football. Uh, but it was, which combo would you rather have? And it took a quarterback, a running back, and a wide receiver. And I'm going to list off some of these for you. All right, I've got five combos here. So make your notes, mental or otherwise. So the first one is quarterback Jalen Hurts, running back J.K. Dobbins, wide receiver Devontae Smith out of Alabama. Combo number two, Justin Fields at quarterback, Jonathan Taylor at running back, and Jerry Judy at receiver. Combo number three is Tua at quarterback, Chuba Hubbard, I, th- I still think it's a Chubba. I, I don't feel. <laughs> uh, Chubba Hubbard out of Okie State and Jalen Waddle. Uh, I think the, the fourth string Bama receiver who's still, or fourth string, <laughs> the fourth, the fourth uh, receiver for Bama. Combo number four is Joe Burrow, A.J. Dillon out of Boston College, Omar Bayless out of Arizona State at receiver. And the fifth one is quarterback Shane Bichelle running back Cam Akers, and wide receiver CeeDee Lamb.
1: I, I hate to do this, but I would have to go with Fields, Taylor, and who was the receiver with
0: them? Jerry, Judy.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's just but that's it almost a not group. Yeah, yeah, it really
0: is. So <laughs> I, I immediately eliminated, in my eyes, Burrow, Dillon, and Bayless. And it's nothing against Bayless or Burrow, but I don't think A.J. Dillon is in the same conversation as some of those other guys. I might be mistaken, but I, I don't think he is. The next one I'm taking out is Hertz, Dobbins, and Devontae Smith. Although the read option with Jalen Hurts and J.K. Dobbins would be a lot of fun. A blast. Honestly, I think that Tua, Chuba, and Jalen, I think Justin Fields' team is my number one, too. Yeah. I do think Shane Bichelle, Cam Akers, and CeeDee Lamb is filthy, though. And the only reason I think Shane Bichelle is even in that conversation is because he has one of the best deep balls in the country. And you don't even need it with CeeDee Lamb. But to be able to also hit him underneath and up top and also be hitting Cam Akers on a wheel route, I can just picture it in my head. Maybe uh, maybe one day in the NFL. Or, you know, maybe the XFL. Who knows? <laughs> Um, yeah, I thought it was a pretty fun exercise, but Jonathan Taylor, Justin Field and Jerry Judy is, I don't know how you stop it unless you have Florida State's offensive line.
1: <laughs> yeah, that might, that could getting, it. getting to a medically removed from a game might be the only way to,
0: yeah. And it's actually, it's, it's fields for that combo, but the same yeah, thing stands. No, I mean, it doesn't yeah. matter. They gotten, I was just thinking of
1: any of the quarterbacks.
0: Yeah. What, what you would do. So <laughs> yeah, just, I think, I think, uh, did you see that Jalen Hurts play, by the way, where he put the ball behind his back? Yeah. I, I'm not sure I like that. <laughs> I mean, like, not in like, man, what a show off. But like, dude, that is asking for that ball to get ripped out. <laughs> yeah, and I imagine if,
1: he got coached on that.
0: After the well, game. Oh, 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 screamed at. Screamed at. And all I could think was, uh, tying this into um, the beautiful game, football, uh, I watched a... Tottenham Hotspur goalkeeper go down with his arms behind him like that and dislocate his elbow. And Uh, it was rough, man. It was and it was like a complete separation. It wasn't like I didn't even know you could do that with your elbow. Uh, It was rough. Honestly, speaking of broken arms, uh, Rutgers quarterback, don't even care what his name is. He had five completions on 13 attempts. Jeff, I know, you know, but how many Did he throw for one yard? A yard is he threw for one yard, and that is uh, that's awful, man. I don't know how you complete five passes for one yard. And and if if the first four tunnel screens didn't work, I don't know (laughs) know why you would just keep, I I don't know how that happens. I kind of want to watch the game now, yeah.
1: They um, I mean, it's been going south for them for a while. Um, they had the same situation pop up as Houston. They're starting running back or starting quarterback Arthur Sikowski, and then they're starting running back uh, Blackshear, who's really good. Both uh, decided to redshirt. So they just they're dreadful. And I know people are you know talking a lot about Shiano, and I think Joe Moorhead's name has come up for that job. Um, but that's going to be a that's going to be a true like four year rebuild because I mean they just have to basically gut what that roster and it's gonna and be build what, it from the ground what's up.
0: happening what's happening at Georgia Tech is yeah. basically what's gonna need to happen there. Yep. From a from a uh, culture perspective, I think, and just in general, like scheme everything. Yeah, Johnny Langan, definitely not land gain because he only had one yard. <laughs> Five for thirteen which is, in case you're wondering, for the yards per attempt, that's .1 yard per attempt,
1: <laughs> oh.
0: which is truly uh, truly impressive. Uh, Little-known fact, Indiana has a wide receiver named Wap Fillier. So, goodness, have you seen any of these Indiana names?
1: Yeah, they've got a bunch on their receivers.
0: Wap Fillier and Ty Freifogel.
1: And Michael Penix.
0: Michael Bannix is true. I saw, you saw the journalists. I think I mentioned that in another episode. The journalists actually slipped that S in there by accident. <laughs> which is, and there's Peyton Hendershot. Man. Yeah, wait. they're a
1: true Midwestern team.
0: Really? A Rod Lloyd? Uh, I'm impressed by Indiana's names. It's usually Illinois that does the Aureliuses and all that. Yep. Aurelius uh, Ben. Quick notes to get us out, Jeff. Uh, do you have anything before I start ripping through these? I'll touch a little bit about wisconsin and michigan state um okay good deal yeah, yeah. let's uh, uh thought really cool uh really cool stat produce smashed maryland 40 to 14 uh woe is maryland i don't know what's wrong i they look worse every week it seems like but the really cool part about it was Purdue scored uh, 40 points, and every touchdown involved a freshman, which kind of speaking to Brom, uh, that's really exciting for what that might hold in two or three years, what that kind of pans out, mm-hmm. or what it looks like when Moore is, a, if he's there as a senior, with, it, with these juniors also being able to score around him. Vanderbilt loses to UNLV. Derek Mason probably done, do you think?
1: Yeah. Um, I think he has about a $10 million buyout and
0: jeez, that much
1: yeah they were talking about i was reading online today They're i don't know if they have if they're gonna pony up for that but um it's time i mean he's had what is it five years now that he's it's been, been a there a long time dude and yeah they i mean it's didn't work out so it's time to move on to
0: the next uh maybe monken will come run the triple option there if Vanderbilt <laughs> has resigned itself to knowing that it's not going to be able to win the SEC, which, get real. Like, let's get real, Vanderbilt. Like, you're not going to. You can play spoiler all you want. Really, all you want to do is beat Tennessee anyways. And I think the fact that Derek Mason has is the only reason he's still there. I'd like to see Vanderbilt. I don't want to see anybody just get fired for no reason. Derek Mason doesn't deserve, I think, the job there. And I'd like for Vanderbilt to get a little weird and and pick a, pick a coach that is, hell, uh, an app state-level coach, someone that's built a program, you know, someone that can... Uh, the Arkansas State lad, I can't remember his last name now, that, that, is, that his wife, unfortunately, passed away. but Oh, Blake he's Anderson. An excellent coach. Yeah, Blake yeah. Anderson. He, he wouldn't be a bad hire, and he can recruit the South, like, just move on from it.
1: Yeah, it's time.
0: Wisconsin defeated Michigan State. I think a lot of people were expecting,
1: you know, after what Wisconsin did to Michigan a few weeks ago... A similar outcome, but I mean, they just absolutely annihilated Michigan State. It was not a game. Um, and the best part was obviously after the game you know, when D'Antonio was interviewed. Uh, a nice reporter asked him about, you know, I think it was rethinking uh, his offensive staff makeup, and he told him it was a dumbass question. So that just kind of speaks to the state of of that program and um, Wisconsin. I mean. I kind of felt like Wisconsin was a little overrated when I watched them play Michigan because Michigan was just, they looked like they didn't get off the bus, you know, taking bad angles, poor run fits, just getting blown off the ball. But someone, I'm just saying, someone should better hire Jim Leonard as a coach because he has done an amazing job taking over for um, who's our friend in, Louis, in LSU, Aranda. So
0: he's done He's done a fantastic job. And yep. actually, while uh, we're on the conversation, there was, there was one thing I really, really liked. Uh, it was, so, the highest rated defense by predicted points added. So, what it takes is the compared average predicted points added for an opponent. So, if Michigan is taking, uh, if they're averaging offensively 50 points a game, right? And mm-hmm. a team beats them. And they only score 25, and that would be a point, negative 0.5 for that defense. Does that make sense? I think mm-hmm. I explained that okay. So on highest-rated defense by predicted points added, uh, Wisconsin is allowing opponents 32% less production than their average throughout the season up to this point. Wow. So they're basically cutting an offense's production into two-thirds of it and the nearest one to them is Clemson, and it's 25%. It's insane. And, and and it's the usual suspects behind them. Ohio State, Oregon, by the way. Way to go. Oregon's defense is still, yeah. still killing it. Uh, Missouri, yes. Auburn, Utah, TCU, Penn State, Western Kentucky. Wow. Western uh, one, Kentucky. Of the, one of these is not like the other. Yeah, Western yeah. Kentucky is... They're 5-1, aren't they? And they haven't allowed 20, more than 20 points in a game yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's just After wild. losing an
1: F2, they lost their first week to an FCS team. I think people were writing them off, so kudos.
0: They and Missouri. Missouri lost to an FBS opponent, but still, Wyoming hurts if you're a Mizzou fan, and they've done nothing <laughs> but, uh, but kind of crush it since, except Western Kentucky can't score. But defensively, yeah. it looks like they're there to play. Yep. Yeah, D'Antonio, I think he knows he's untouchable there. I think that's why he's saying stuff like that. And I don't know who the athletic director is, but I can't imagine it's someone that's just going to fire him. And, and I wish that they'd at least force him to try a new offensive coordinator because it's Michigan State is so far down the list on me on any games I'd want to watch. I'd rather watch a crap yeah. UTSA team try something weird and fail than just see Michigan State banging their head against a brick wall over and over again.
1: Yeah, so if you want – this is probably just rumor or – water cooler talk but the word on the street is that Luke Fickle wants the Michigan State job so yeah that will be interesting because I mean that would still allow him to you know recruit Ohio heavily um, with the relationships he has but also give him a bigger platform and you know I mean Michigan State can be a pretty solid school you saw them win multiple Big Ten titles within the last five years so that'll be it'll be interesting to see but you made a great point I don't think the AD is going to do anything unless D'Antonio decides you know he doesn't want to coach anymore. No, and the so.
0: fact that he was uh, presumably safe from all the other controversy <laughs> with that athletic department stuff, I yeah. think the last thing they want to do is up in another program, which is yep. which is Michigan State is worse for it. And if they could lose the the ugly jerseys, it'd be kind of cool to see them run something different, anything different, just a little bit, like even like under center but just like a one-back system with three three wideouts, just anything. Just change it up. Uh, maybe recruit a quarterback who doesn't look scared every time he goes up to the line. Kellen Mond went up to the line, not looking scared, by the way. And Alabama, <laughs> it didn't matter. Uh, Alabama thumped him. I had that note that I ended up kind of pulling too early. I uh, blew my load there. But Alabama's receivers were truly insane to watch. Florida State takes a, uh, takes a big... Big old dump and gets hammered by Clemson. And I actually had one more note before we get out of here, Jeff. Uh, Jake Breeland, the Oregon tight end, is out for the season, which I learned just a few hours ago. And Oregon, I think Oregon's got a pretty great chance to win out. They're probably the Pac-12 hope, if they can do that, for the playoffs. And if not, they'll make a pretty good Rose Bowl team because their defense But Breland was invaluable, I think, to Herbert. So this is going to be really interesting to see, A, what it does to the offense, but also what it's going to do to Herbert and his draft stock kind of as we go along. Because he has some defenses that he's still going to play. Washington, uh, I'm not going to count Washington State, honestly. (laughs) USC is not an awful defense. Arizona looks weird. They're not there. Arizona State, sometimes. So it might not really come down to it, but... Yeah, it's a bummer. Breland's going to be back next year, I guess. But but he's probably one of the top tight ends in the country.
1: Yeah, and Oregon has an interesting schedule. I mean, they go at Washington this week, which I know Washington hasn't really been great. I still think it should be a good game. It'll probably end up low-scoring, but Washington State at home, they've kind of dominated them.
0: In the uh, primetime afternoon slot, too, at
1: 3.30. Yeah. At Southern Cal, do you think, Clay Helton is still there at that point. It seems like he's kind of, after reading online, after their Notre Dame game, it seems like he's about done. So
0: So I do want to mention that if, if they didn't run his assistants, if they weren't there, there's no doubt the last 14 points USC scored doesn't get scored. That offense looked hungry still. And Slovis, for the most part, had a pretty good game. The defense just fell asleep early, and then they woke back up. And they really, they swarmed the ball a lot on Notre Dame. I was, for how good Notre Dame ended up looking kind of towards the end, I was impressed by USC and what I saw of them. I think Clay Helton, I don't think there was an avenue for him to stay at all. I don't think seven wins would have done it. They have maybe eight wins total possible. I still don't think that does it. He would have had to have a ten into eleven in one year. And yeah. if Oregon smashes them, I think that off week. I think he's oh no, it's Oregon's off week. I think he's gone if they get hammered by Oregon. But I think it's dead set that he's out. They're having a hard enough time finding an athletic director. And I was actually listening to the Andy Staples show earlier today, and he made a good point: Who wants the job? Like, if you're a good athletic director anywhere else in the country, you're living on twice the land and twice the house for the amount of money that you're making that you would have to live in if you went to USC. And you're going to have a limited, you know, it's, it's a tough place, even with all the history, to convince someone like Texas's athletic director or Oklahoma's, you know, I can't imagine those guys wanting to leave. So they're going to have a hard enough time finding an AD.
1: I love that point you brought up because I think it's something that a lot of college football fans underrate. They think, especially fans of like you know Michigan, Tennessee, Florida, like these larger programs, they think it's all just like, oh, you hire a good coach and you're going to win. But you really do need an athletic department that's committed to it too. You know, I mean, you see what some of these other schools are doing with their stadiums. I mean, even Nebraska. I don't know if you saw their facilities they're building, they're building this $150 million, you know, practice and whatever else facility. So you're absolutely right. Like it's fine to be USC, but if you have a karate athletic director who doesn't want to build the infrastructure and, you know, support the program and do what it takes to win, like you're not going to win and you're not going to attract the best coaches.
0: Yeah. it's It, it still comes down to a location, yep. right? It's, it, it honestly is probably – for, if I had to guess, for an athletic director who's talented or who's done well, it's probably similar to be an NBA free agent, where it's saying, okay, I can pick where I want to work, but what's going to be the less, What where am I going to get taxed more, or where am I going to be able to live a better lifestyle? You know, why, why would you, if you could make the same amount of money at USC versus hell TCU, and... You have similar amenities, you have less traffic, you have more house, Mm -hmm. you have more land, your schools are probably comparable. Uh, It's it's, it's an easy choice to make for a lot of athletic directors, I think. And USC is, because they were so set on hiring their guys, I think that's what got them in this position, period. And I don't think that's even an if. That's definitely what got them in this position, period.
1: Uh Swan was the last one, right? Who was before? One of them was had never even been an athletic director before.
0: Yeah, I mean the fact that it had to be a USC guy. Yep. And I think the I think honestly, you know what? If I'm USC, what I try to do, I try to do what Arizona State's just done, what North Carolina's just done, and you can't get Pete Carroll back probably, but come back and bring a CEO slash recruiting type of coach in and leave your staff, or bring in similar staff. Because frankly, if it wasn't for the tempo and fast-paced offense that they have, and they were still enduring the same injuries, USC maybe has one win. Yeah, they 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 haven't. They've already been wheels off and back and forth. You know. All right, that's going to do it for us. That ran longer than I expected it to, but anytime I get to talk to Jeff about college football, it's a it's a win. Yep. Uh, tomorrow, great Monday. Yep, yep. It's, it is a great Monday indeed. And speaking of Monday. So we're recording this on Monday. It's going to be releasing on Tuesday, the 15th. The pick show is going to be released on the 16th and we're going to be recording that on Tuesday. So, uh, stay subscribed. I don't know why you just like up and unsubscribe, <laughs> but, but uh, stay subscribed, uh, at run pops uh, at run pod option on Twitter, uh, run pod option at Gmail for the, the email. Obviously I'm losing steam here, Jeff. Uh, say bye.
1: I just want to take a moment to congratulate our co-host, Kyle, on his wedding anniversary. Oh yeah, Kyle, we
0: didn't even acknowledge he was gone, but Kyle (laughs) isn't here because he's uh, got a wedding anniversary. It's been two years. I was at the wedding. I believe there was a college football game on, and it left some people disappointed at that fact. Mainly... (laughs) What game was it? Mainly me. It doesn't matter. Okay. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't... Here, let's... uh, You know what? Since we've already run this long, let's look at... October 14th, there was something. Maybe it was a 2017 college football. Let's see who we had. <laughs> it, was, it was week seven. Oh, man. This seems like it's like a time portal here, dude. Oh, we had Red River Shootout, Oklahoma over Texas, 29 oh, okay. 24. That was Baker Mayfield. We had uh, LSU over Auburn, both ranked. We had Alabama. Man, there was a lot of. A lot of bad games. This seems like a lifetime ago. South Florida, 33, Cincinnati, 3. Man. Stanford, 49, Oregon, 7.
1: Man, yeah, talk about that. Jesus.
0: That would have been. Feels like a lifetime ago. It really does. And it was Oregon's, uh, God, Oregon had Braxton Burmeister and Taylor Alley as their quarterbacks. So (laughs) that explains that. Uh, Congratulations, Kyle. Thank you all. Congratulations for making it this far. Have a a good rest of the week, and you'll hear from our picks uh, on Wednesday. Bye. Adios.
1: Hi, my name is Joshua Tracy.
0: And I am Corwin Heller.
1: And we are the hosts of a statistics and sports podcast called Juicing the Numbers.
0: We cover the NFL, college football, MLB, and the NHL with anything that we like to talk about in between.
1: If you like sports and the numbers behind it, come check out our show, Juicing the Numbers, on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at JuicingPOD.